2 Corinthians 9.15, the title of the message is God's inexpressible, excuse me, gift, indescribable gift, and our series is a topical one. Amen? As you have it, let me read just a few words here that are amazing. It says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift gift. That's it. That's, that's all we're reading. May God illuminate our hearts and our souls. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for 2 Corinthians 9.15, for your word, for the worship that Paul renders to your holy name because of what you have given unto us. May the word convict us who are your people to worship you forever, to express with Paul our gratitude for your inexpressible gift, your indescribable gift. And if there be any here who is unconverted, may the truth that Paul expresses in these verses call us, call anyone who is unconverted to see Christ for who he is for the first time. Open hearts, save souls, we pray, Lord, in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, beloved, our verse often appears on Christmas cards, does it not? With the message that God has given us, the gift of his son. No one questions the truth of this message, but those readers who take the time to look at the context of this verse immediately notice that Paul says nothing about the birth of Christ throughout the actual passage. It's the last verse in a passage in which he's teaching actually about almsgiving, giving alms to those who... Uh, are needful and he ends that passage with this verse and if you read that passage you're like wait a minute he's really not talking about Christ throughout necessarily the, the gift of Christ but he ends with that thought the context of the chapter is quite simple then Paul is sending fellow believers to the Corinthians to collect the love offering that the Corinthians had promised for the needful believers in Jerusalem and then this is important because the Corinthian church was predominantly a, a, a Gentile church. They had been ex-Gentiles converted to Christ. And the church in Jerusalem was predominantly ex-Jews who had been converted to Christ. And here we see what Christ's gospel starts doing immediately. They start breaking those barriers that were there before. So that you have a church that was predominantly Gentile sending aid, sending help to the Jewish, predominantly Jewish church. Because there is no Jew and there is no Greek in God. There's only one family, the family of God. Amen? And so this is an amazing portion of scripture. In this chapter, Paul reminds the Corinthians of two truths that are involved in their almsgiving, in their, in their offerings to, to, to God. First, the Corinthians, like all Christians, should be ready to give and bless the believers that are in need. Would you say amen to that? So that we, are, we should be ready to help one another when in need with whatever it is that we need. Well, this is the testing of our faithfulness, if you remember, to the second commandment. That we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love each other. And the second truth that Paul shares in this portion of scripture is that God rewards the giving to others if that giving comes from the appropriate heart attitude. And this actually is the testing of our faithfulness to the first and great commandment that we would love God with all our hearts, mind, and soul. We give and we bless our brothers and sisters because we love them because we love God because he first loved us. And so Paul is reminding the Corinthians of these great truths. 
However, the aim of the last verse is to cause the Christian to consider that compared to God's gift, God's great gift of his son, all our giving is really inconsequential because we can never match what God has given unto us. He has given us whom? Jesus Christ. And as God is so generous and so merciful and God gives us his son, and when we give to one another and bless one another, that's kind of a, a small microcosm of the great gift. And it's our, our gifts is unconsequential with the, with the gifting of God's gift when compared to it. The Christian must greatly then admire the graciousness of God. God gives the singular most precious gift ever to be given in all humanity. The gift that can never be valued. It's invaluable. The gift that can never be matched. The gift that can never be described. The gift that is so extraordinary that it leaves men aghast when we consider the implications of that gift. God gives his son to die so that we could live. And so, no wonder Paul says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for this gift. And he uses, if you remember the word, inexpressible. It is an expressible gift that we, get, we cannot even comprehend or fathom the depth of the gifting of God. God has given the gift that is beyond all description. He has given his son. Well, this is a thought throughout the whole Old and New Testament. The Old Testament promised the giving of the gift. And in the New Testament, we see the gift being given in Jesus Christ. John 3.16, we talked about it before, expresses this very thought. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. You see the gift there? How many of you see the gift there? He gave his only son. That's how much God loved us that he what? Gave his son. I would ask you the same question. I always ask people, how many of you would be willing to give up your child so that I might live? The answer is very rarely, amen. It's always, no, I, I don't think I could do that. God does. God gives the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He was there at creation. All things were made through him, and none of the things that were made were made without him. The Bible talks in, in, in John's Gospel. He is the giver of life. He gave that Son, the, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity to us for the purpose of death. So when we celebrate Christmas, we inevitably are celebrating what? Easter. Amen? We celebrate Christmas because of the coming, and the coming heads only to one place. You see, Easter didn't happen by chance or by happenstance. The, the goal of the coming of the Son was Easter. Amen? The goal of the coming of the Son was Christ on the cross for the redemption of God's people. That's how much God loved you. That's how much God loved me, that he sent his Son so John 3, 6 says, For God loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish in hell, but have what? Eternal life. He gave them, he gave them so that we could live, we who are undeserved. That's an incredible thought for us to consider. No wonder Paul says, thanks God, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. When you start considering what God gave, it is earth shattering, it is astounding for us. And we see in John 3.16 that this gift was given not because God had to, but because God wanted to, because he loved us. Again, for God so loved the world. So that we see that the gift comes because of love. And what kind of love? A perfect love that loves sinners in their sin. We weren't righteous people. We're not good people. 
We've all sinned against God. And even in our most foul state as sinners, God chose, chose to, didn't have to, love us. And he chose to love us to an extent that he gives his son. So we see that in the gifting of God, there are three things, two that we're going to discuss here. First is that God loves us. God gives his son because of love. And I'll talk, to, the third one is also here. And God does it for people who are unworthy. We'll talk about those three things throughout the sermon well, the greatness of the gift is further enriched in the value when we consider that God gave his gift while humanity was completely and utterly undeserving. We were warped and perverted in sin. We're all sinners, if we're honest with ourselves. We've all done things that we know God would not like. Amen? Things that violate God's holiness. And if we think about God, we must think about him for his character. God is holy. And because he is holy, he has to hate what? Sin. He who is perfect has to hate the imperfection of sin. And if we admit to ourselves the truth that we have sinned, then we become imperfect sinners before God. And it is right that then God would hate us. But God chooses instead of hating us as his people, he chooses to love us even though we don't deserve it, and send a son to do something about our sinfulness so that we can be made righteous and come to God. So when you compare the gifting of God's son in love for us with the fact that we are undeserving, then the gift becomes even more indescribable. Would you agree with that statement? More inexpressible. Because God didn't give his son for people who were okay or barely out of okay. God gives it for people who don't deserve it. And this is the thought throughout the whole portion of the Old, the Old and New Testament. And I want us to consider a couple of truths found in Scripture. So I want us to consider this truth. The, the three truths in the giving of the gift. It's that God loved. Because He loved, He gives His what? His very best. He gives His Son. And, be, and, and He gives His Son while we are what? Completely undeserve it. Can you keep, keep those three things in mind? Because they're going to be very uh, a blessing for you as we go through scripture. Let's look at Ephesians which I have spent a lot of time dissecting as you remember. Ephesians 2 verses 3, the last part of 3 to verse 5. We and here the apostle says the last point we're undeserving. We were by nature children of what? Wrath. Like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love. There's the love. We were undeserving. We were children of wrath. God in his love, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, there is the third point. We're undeserving, uh, undeserving again, right? Again. Made us alive together with Christ. There's the gift. Jesus. By grace you have been what? Saved. Do you, do you hear it? Over and over again throughout scripture. You're going to get this. That God loves gives the Son for imperfect, sinful people. And that's the thing, thought we get in Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, in the right time Christ died for the ungodly. What does the Bible call us before we come to Jesus Christ? Say it, ungodly. That's a terrible word to call somebody, right? It means without God completely and utterly. Every person who has never come to Jesus Christ, including me before I came to Christ, we were what? Ungodly. And that's when God chose to love us. When we were what? Ungodly. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? 
I hope that that's going, man, God does love me. He sent his son in love while I was what? Ungodly. We, we continue with this portion. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. This is the thought that the, the author, Paul again, says, hey, maybe someone would die for someone who is a, a, a righteous person, a good person. Maybe, possibly, someone would die for a righteous person. But none of you would die for someone that was completely corrupted in sin, would you? They're not worthwhile. But notice what he says. But God, there's that word again, those two words again, right? But God shows his love. There's the love for us in that while we were still sinners, we don't deserve it, we're ungodly, he gave Christ. Christ died for us. There it is again. Do you see those three points over and over again in Scripture? It's an incredible three points, isn't it? Because the Bible says we're ungodly, we're perverted in sin, we're sinners, God hates sin, God is angry at sin all day long, Scripture talks about. God has to punish sin, God has to deal with sin. And instead of giving you what you and I deserve, God instead gives us His Son in love so that we might live. That is Christmas. Amen? Christmas is not about gifts. It's not about hot chocolate. It's definitely not about tamales, although I like myself my tamales too. All right? It's not about family. It's not about togetherness, as people say. It's not about peace with each other. Christmas is about God's gift of His Son in love for the ungodly. And if we capture that thought, then we can celebrate Christmas rightly by bowing the knee and worshiping God forever. Beloved, in the midst of our giving to others gifts that we do, let us be reminded that God the Father has given us His blessed Son because He loves us. And this gift is for the ransoming of our sinfully lost soul. We are bound to gratefully praise the God who gives His Son for our sins. We are commanded to worship this God. I want you to listen to the angelic declaration recorded for us in Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 11 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, sinners, is born this day in the city of David, born this gift, a Savior given to us in love, who is Christ the Lord. God gives us the only thing that we absolutely need, but the only thing that we could never ask for. For we are unworthy. This is an incredible thought for us to consider today. With that all swirling in our minds. And then let's look at verse 15, shall we? Verse 15 says that, that we are bound to praise God forever. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That, that's our verse for consideration. I want you to notice that Paul closes chapter 9 with a doxology. And that word doxology just means a word of praise. He's worshiping God. So he offers God worship, and he offers God this worship, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. It is true in the context of chapter 9 that Paul is thanking, Paul could be thanking God as well for, for the giving and the receiving of gifts from the brothers that show each other love in their need, for the breaking down of walls between Jews and Gentiles, for the unification of one body and the church. And God blesses both the giver and the receiver. But that's not what Paul is focusing on. The, the cause, what causes Paul to greatly rejoice in gratitude to God is his 
inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God. I worship God. I bow the knee to God. I sing to God. I love God. I'm motivated to seek God because he's given me his inexpressible gift. He's given me Jesus. The one thing I needed, I could never ask for. Oh, beloved, the indescribable gift of Jesus is what moves Paul. The doxology expresses the wonder and the grandeur of the gift of love given by God. The Apostle John writes about this immeasurable love as well. Listen to what uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, his people. How do we measure God's love? How, how is it that the love of God is ma- manifested? How do we know that God loves us, says 1 John? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The three truths are expressed here. The love of God is, an express, is expressed in that he gives us his son. He says that we might live. Why? Because we are currently without Christ. If we're without Christ, what are we? We're dead in sins. We're sinners. We don't deserve it. Notice that Jesus came that we might live, which means that without Jesus, we're all what? Dead. We're walking corpse. Oh, we, we, we get married. We have children. We laugh. We sing. We enjoy things. We think we're having this great life. But if we die apart from Christ, one day we stand in front of God and we are rejected forever. We die eternally in hell. So again, in 1 John, we see this very truth. He says, in this we know the love of God, that God gave his son so that we might what? Live. So that we might live. This gift of God to the world then it's Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, and only in Jesus, that salvation is possible. Not only can Jesus save us, he is sufficient for our salvation. It is in Jesus that completely corrupt human beings can experience the blessedness of forgiveness in a new birth. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians. And it says something like this. It says that God, if anyone's in God, he is anyone is in Christ, excuse me, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are what? New. The new birth happens. So that the old me dies. The selfish me dies. The sinful me dies. The me that only takes care of my own desires. The, the me that doesn't love God, doesn't love his church, doesn't love his Bible. The me that, 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 that hurts people. The me that doesn't know God. That me dies. And behold, all things are made new. I am a new creation. And the new me is born. The me that loves God, loves his people, loves his word, wants to bless others, wants to see people come into the kingdom of God, wants to live in holiness, loves his Bible, loves prayer, loves to sing to God, wants to see him one day. That new me is born. And that is an offer of salvation that the angels proclaim. Unto you this day in the city of David is born. The one thing you absolutely can never ask for, but the one thing you need, a savior. We all need to be saved. We all need to be saved. What is the purpose of my life? To walk with God through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, I am dead. I have no purpose in this life, but just me. And that's a poor God to serve. I ask you to consider this. The gift of Christ encompasses then many truths. This is why the apostle calls it inexpressible. Simply put, beloved, we can consider all the truth 
of the gifting of God of his son and yet never truly comprehend the enormity of it all. And to prove this point, I want us to consider six, six aspects that are involved in the gift of God. Six truths that are true about the fact that Jesus Christ was given for us, okay? And these six truths is going to cause us just to worship God. Amen? And I'm only picking six of probably millions, but let's talk about six. What is, what is encompassed in this gifting of God, of his son? Well, the first thing that I want us to consider is the gift necessarily requires the incarnation of the Son of God. That, the incarnation, if you don't know what that word means, it means encarne, or, or the fact that he comes and becomes flesh, he becomes one of us. Think about this, how does God the Son in heaven, who was be, there at the beginning of creation, who was there before creation, who was immortal, who is worshipped through all eternity, how does that God, the second person of the Trinity, Become a man. Shouldn't that fill you with wonder? Amen? He becomes one of us. He lives in this weakened mortal flesh. He is able to experience thirst, hunger, tiredness, pain from the cross. The immortal God becomes one of us. That is the gift of God. Amen? No wonder Paul calls it inexpressible. Just this one truth alone, we could spend months talking about. We're not going to, but we could. The gifting of the Son brings us face to face then with the fact that Jesus becomes one of us. The perfect second person of the Trinity condescends, becomes less, and becomes a man. By this incarnation, Christ is able to live the life of obedience to the law of God that is required for the showing of grace and mercy. You see, what separates you from God is your sin. And there's nothing you can do about it because God is absolutely holy and you're absolutely corrupt. And because you sin and you've sinned over and over in your life, God cannot forgive you even if you're sorry for what you've done. God has to punish you because of your sin unless he can punish somebody else who is perfect. Do you see what the incarnation is? Jesus comes and he lives according to God's law. He never breaks a commandment. He never sins of God, against God so that he is perfect. So that when he goes to the cross, he can't pay for his sin. He has none. So instead he pays for yours. What a thought that is. Amen? So that God then, who the Father who, is, who has to be righteous, God has to punish sin, punishes him for what you've done because he is perfect. So that then his perfection can be put in your account so that you can be forgiven. I talk to people all the time, and they say, oh yeah, I know what Jesus did. He died for me. And I say, what does that mean? And they're like, I don't know. Well, this is what it means. It means that God had to punish sin. Just like a judge has to punish wrongdoing. Just if you had committed a terrible crime and stood before a judge and said, judge, I'm really, really sorry. The judge is not going to say, are you really, really sorry? Yes, I'm really, really sorry. Okay, go ahead and go home since you're really sorry. We would call that an unrighteous judge, wouldn't we? The judge has to say, I don't care if you're sorry. You need to pay for what you've done. You owe a debt. That is God the Father. We expect, we shouldn't expect anything less that we should expect from a human judge from him, but more. He has to punish sin. I don't care how sorry you are for your sin. That doesn't cut it. God will punish you for your sin. Unless you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Unless his death 
is your death. His payment is your payment. Unless you bow the knee and ask for forgiveness and turn your life over to him. You are not covered unless you do that. Do you see it? So that's the incarnation. He becomes one of us. So he can feel and know what it is to be a human being. So he can die on the cross for us. This is what I say at 9, 6, 700 years before Jesus Christ is born. 700 plus years, almost 800 years before he's born. The prophet Isaiah, by God's grace, writes about Jesus coming for us. It's an incredible thought, isn't it? And he says, for to us a child is born. There we see the humanity of Christ. He has a child that is what? Born. But that's not it. Notice the rest. But to us a son is what? Given. A son already existed. Given. Not born. Given. Do you see both? A child is what? Born. He becomes one of us. But he was the son of God is given. He was always God and eternal. Here we see the hypostatic union of Christ. His divinity and his humanity together in one verse. What an incredible thought this is, right? Isaiah 9.6 tells us that a child, a human being is born, just like all human beings were born. But he also tells us he's a son that was given. He existed before he becomes that child. That's why I kind of laugh when people say stuff like, Mary, mother of God. God has no mother. Amen? God is God. Eternal. It is right to say, Mary, the mother of Jesus as a man, but not the mother of God. He was already a son that is given. Amen? According to the word of God. I want you to consider these things. So the incarnation is a truth. That is, in the gifting of God, there's an aspect of it. He gave him so he would become one of us, right? Number two, in the gift of God, necessarily we have to see the ministry of the Son of God. The ministry of the Son of God. The gifting of the Son brings us also face to face with the work of Christ. He kept God's law perfectly. He said, I did not come to, 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 to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. He's the only one that can. We break God's law. He fulfills it. Praise God. His fulfillment is ours. It is also that work in which we find the heart, the character, and the love of the Father as modeled to us by Jesus Christ himself. Remember Moses in the Old Testament says to God, I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. And God says, are you crazy? You die. No one can see the Father's face and live. I am too holy. You would literally die. Here's what I'm going to do, says God. I'm going to hide you in that cleft of that rock. I'm going to pass by. And when I'm gone, I'll, I'll, I'll remove my hand. And what you're going to see is going to see kind of like the remnant of my glory. And that'll be enough to transform your life forever. But see me? You can't. It's impossible. No man can see the Father and live. Well, that's a terrible thought for us, right? That we're so horribly defiled that we cannot see God the Father. Amen. But beloved, if you want to see the Father, see Christ. Amen? If you want to see the Father, see Jesus. Because Jesus comes and becomes one of us so that we can see him as a man. And then he acts, loves, speaks, does everything in a way that shows us whom? The Father's love. The Father's character. The Father's face, per se. And I find this, if you have your Bibles, you can open to John 14, 8. If not, you can just listen. John 14, 8, verses 8 through 11. 
where Philip, Jesus is just talking about leaving this earth. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. He, he expresses his Moses' prayer. I want to see the Father. He says, Jesus, show me the Father and I will believe forever. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the what? Father. Do you want to see God? Look to Christ, the Son. Amen? Do you want to see how God loves? Look at Christ and how he loves. Do you want to see the works of God? Look to whom? To Jesus Christ. He has the expression of the Father. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Excuse me, the works, the words. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The things that I do show you the Father. Do you see it? This was an incredible truth that God showed me early on in my Christian life about being a parent. I was afraid to be a parent having never been really parented myself. How can I be a good father? And the Lord, through his grace in this verse, showed me, if you want to see how a father loves, acts, behaves, look to Jesus. And you'll be an okay dad. And I was, by God's grace, I'm not the world's greatest father, but I think I've been sufficiently a godly father because I learned at the feet of Jesus what a father would do by looking at the son the son models the, son, the father. Amen? So the first truth in the gifting of God is the incarnation of God. The second truth is the ministry of the Son of God. And the third truth is the suffering of the Son of God. As we said earlier in our, in, in our service, is the fact that Jesus came to suffer. Jesus came to suffer so that we don't have to suffer. He came to pay our debt. Inheriting God's gift, it's the truth that the Son of God would by necessity suffer in substitution for me and for you. The holiness of God requires, as we said, the punishing of every sin. God has to punish sin. God cannot just say, I'm, 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 I'm going to let it slide. I'm going to let it go. He can't do that. So the Father has to punish sin. God must be true to his character. Therefore, Christ is given in substitution. Christ comes willingly. The Father sends him lovingly to be substituted so that he could, in his body, feel the pain that we are bound to receive for our sins. He bears our sins and accepts the punishment we deserve. He is able to fully pay what we owe because of his perfect law-keeping. Remember, he was perfect on the cross, not us. I want you to consider Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Again, Isaiah read it 750 plus years before Jesus Christ is born. And I want you to consider that Isaiah talks about Jesus already in the past as if, as if what Jesus was going to do was already done because God had sovereignly decreed it. That's an incredible thought. Notice what he says in Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6. Surely he has already, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That one verse should cause you to tremble because it says, who punished the son? Well, we could say the Romans put Jesus Christ on the cross, amen? And we could say it was because of the Jews that the Romans put Jesus Christ on the cross. And we could say the people themselves asking for, for a murder instead of Christ, they put Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you want to get really spiritual, you could say it was I who put Jesus on the cross, it was my sin. But ultimately, who put Jesus on the cross? 
It was the Father. That's how much He loved you. That He looked at the Son and said, I'm, I want to send you. And the Son said, I will go. He says, I want you to become one of them. I want you to have a ministry among them in which you show them my glory. Then I want you to be punished for them. Listen again. Yet we esteemed him stricken. He was smitten by God. Do you hear it there? Who does it? God. And he was afflicted by God. Verse 5. But he was pierced in the past already, as if it already happened. He was pierced, the pain of piercing with the nails for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the the punishment that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God the Father has laid on the Son the iniquity of us all. What powerful portion of scripture, amen? So inherent in the fact that God gives the gift is that the, the, the gift would suffer for us. That the God said, I have to punish sin. I cannot just let it go. I'm, a, I'm either going to punish them or I'm going to punish someone that has to be perfect, the Son of God. And the Son of God willingly comes and he's punished for our sin. This is the same thought in 1 Peter 2.24, excuse me. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Quoting Isaiah 53, which we just read. Notice, he himself bore our sins. He carried our sins that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And it says, by him we are healed. Again, 2 Corinthians talks about this substitution as well. In pain, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, which we quoted earlier, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Imagine perfection carrying all the sins of those who would believe. Imagine what that must have felt like. No wonder right before the cross and the mountain as Jesus was praying, he was sweating drops of blood. Amen? Do you... Do you what, what, how does perfection carry every single sin from every individual who will be a person of God, a child of God, who God is destined to be his child? How does it become all that sin? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. The swap. Amen? The swap. Our sins on him, his holiness on us. So that God says, your sins are forgiven. You're perfect. Come to heaven. All your sins, past, present, and what? Future. What an incredible thought. Well, we have seen that in the gifting of God. There's the incarnation. There's the ministry. And there's the suffering of Christ. Point number four is closely associated to point number three. But I made a distinction. The death of the Son of God is involved in the gifting. Not only did the Father send him to suffer pay but to die on our account to wash away our sins not only does he pay for our sins but he through his death washes away every spot that we have the gift of God comes with the certainty of the death of the son Christ tastes death so that we don't have to Christ dies so that we don't die eternally 
Amen? And you might say, but wait a minute. I know people that die. Yeah, you're, you're going to die one day. I'm going to die one day. But if we die in Christ, we are ever alive. Amen? If we die apart from Christ, we die eternally. We're dead eternally. I want you to consider Mark 10.45. And I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture. I wanted to prove these things to you. Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This is Jesus speaking. He calls himself the Son of Man. And he says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see it? Jesus knew why he came. What does he say? I, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. I came to give my life for those of you who would be my people. I came to die for you. He knew. There was no surprise to Christ. He was the one that kept telling the disciples he was going to die and they, they couldn't comprehend it. He knew his ministry. He knew his purpose. It was for you and for me. And, and I want to digress a little bit. I want you to notice that Jesus says he came to give his life as a ransom for not all. I want you to see it, what he says, for what? For many, for those who would be his people. Jesus did not pay for the sins of every single human being on the face of the planet or all would be saved. He came to pay for the sins of those who would be his people. Only those whom God has foreordained to be his, their, their sins are covered at the cross. And what does that mean? You and I get to go to heaven because of him. Let us look at another portion where Jesus talks about his death or where, where the death of Jesus is discussed. John 10, 11. Jesus speaking, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. Do you see that Jesus knows? What's about to, lays down his life for the what? For the sheep. Notice again, he says he's willing to die, but he's willing to die for a specific group. What is the specific group? His sheep. Not all people are what? His sheep, right? We know that, right? Not all people come to Christ. I want you to consider 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 10. Speaking of the death of Christ again. For God has not destined us. Who's the us there? Who is Paul talking to? God's people. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus who died for us, his people, so that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning die on the flesh, we might live with him. We might live with him. Whether we're awake or asleep. In other words, whether now or when I die to this earth, I will forever be with our Lord. That's the promise of scripture. Well, this leads us to our fifth point, the resurrection of the Son of God. The resurrection of the Son of God. The gift includes the certainty that Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. It was, there was no question that he was going to rise from the dead. Isaiah speaks about him rising from the dead, again, almost 800 years before he's born. So part of the gifting is not only the fact that he came and became one of us, not only his ministry, his suffering, his death, but part of his ministry is that he would what? Rise again. That he would rise again. The resurrection from the dead guarantees each believer's eventual resurrection. Because he rose, I will rise. I praise God for that. Amen? What hope. We are not forever bound to these corrupt bodies, but are promised a resurrection day in which we will be clothed in perfect immortality. Are you sick of this body yet? Are you sick of the fact of how sick it gets? 
Are you sick about the fact how, long, how much it longs to sin against God? One day God will resurrect you, but not to the same body as before, but to a different body, a body that will not be able to sin, an immortal body, a body that will walk in perfection to him if you are his child, if you are his child. And to prove that case, let us look at John eleven twenty five through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's a promise. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he closes it with a word. I think that he's asking her, but it applies to all of us. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Notice he says he is the resurrection and the life. He says if we die, and we die in him, we're never dead. We're, we're, we're promised resurrection. And if we live, we will never die, meaning what? We know that there's resurrection waiting for us, so we are his people. Only God's people can say amen to that. Only God's people is this true, only if you are in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians, speaking about the resurrection, says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Why the first fruit? That means he was the first. That means what? Many will follow after for as by a man came death, Adam, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all, meaning his people, be made alive. Oh, beloved, do you see what the gifting of God encompasses? How many of you are just blown away when you start considering, it's not just a baby born in a manger, is it? is that all this was planned and, and, and put together by God for that reason, one reason, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We've only considered five. Let us consider our sixth to cause us to give glory to God. And the sixth one is this, the second advent of the Son of God, the second coming, glorification. The gift of God includes the promise of glorification. It is a promise made to each believer. And I want you to consider this. Resurrection to a new body means that we will be glorified. We will sit with him. The Bible says we will see him as he is. I don't even understand what that means. It's so far beyond my understanding. Amen? But the child of God is promised to be glorified. I want you to consider, again, the words of Jesus in John 14. As he speaks to the believers after he told them he's leaving, he's going to die, he will be resurrected, and he's leaving. And they are heartbroken at that thought. They want to come with him. They don't understand all that it means yet. They would later. And Jesus says to them in such a loving way, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God the Father. Believe also in me. We're one. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. You say amen. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Are there any more precious words in scripture? Much more beautiful words. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am at. You will also be with me for eternity. Beloved, we have God's promise, Christ's promise of this glorification. 
So our brief meditation on just these six aspects of God's gift of his son, we, have, we are left really dumbfounded before God. How can we express to God our gratefulness? We are bound to render to the king of heaven all our praise. What song can we sing that would capture all the gratitude we should have? And beloved, we have not, listen, we have not in the, in the six things we discussed exhaustively considered the depth of God's gift to us. Those are just six things that I decided to share. That's, that, that there are aspects of the gift. We could talk about more. We can talk about more. There are other aspects that, would, that we can further consider. For example, union with Christ. How is it that we can be part of him? He says, Father, I am in you, you are in me. Let them be in us. We can be united with Christ to the Father. We're united with Christ. Amen? And with the Father. What a thought that is. How can us normal men and women be united to Christ and to his Father? But only through the work of Christ. Union with his church is another one we could have discussed. That we not only become a believer, but we become part of a family. We're bricks all put together, says Ephesians, being built into one spiritual house of God. We're interlocked as a family of God. The indwelling of the Spirit of God as a guarantee of our purchase procession. Ephesians talks about that. That when we come to Christ, the part of the newness is that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. Where before we were, we were doing things as we thought was right, now the Holy Spirit guides us. What an incredible thought that is. That's part, that has to be part of the incarnation, part of the giving of the gift. Excuse me. The ability to partake with the Holy Spirit of God, the usefulness that God places upon us for ministry, He, he, he lets us work alongside of Him. We have no business being there, but He does allow us that grace. The Christ-likeness that makes sanctification a possibility. The Bible says we're transformed from one moment of glory to another, more and more into the image of Christ. Beloved, we can consider these truths and a million other truths about the reality of the gifting of the, uh, 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 the gift of God, the Son of God. And so when we consider these things, we must concur with Paul. The gifting of the Son of God is inexpressible. We cannot, there's just, we cannot express all that it is. It's just too much. It's enough to draw us to the place of worship and surrender. For Paul, the thought of God giving his son to mankind is astounding. In his time, Paul sees the, the glorious result of faith of God, both in the Jews and the Gentiles, when they place their faith in Jesus Christ, in the breaking down of racial barriers, in the unity of Christian church, as evidenced by the predominantly Gentile church in Corinth, sending aid to the predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem. He's seeing the breaking downs of barriers, racism, all of that is all done. There's just one people in God. I know that we keep talking about racism and we use the word systematic racism and what we're going to do about this, how we're going to stamp it out. We will never stamp it out in this world because we're sinners. We're prone to hate each other. But if we come to Christ, God takes that all away. Amen? And then we don't see white and black and brown what we see our people of God. What about today? Is the gospel doing anything today? What is the gifting of the Son of God doing today in our world? Well, presently, beloved, today the church of Jesus Christ is spanning the globe so that in every place we can find Christians gathering together and worshiping the Lord, even today, the Lord's Day. Believers 
met in our meeting in cathedrals and churches and chapels and private homes in a variety of other buildings and the persecuted churches meeting in forests and caves and hidden places by means of the airwaves, internet, television, radio, then by means of the printed page, the spoken word of God, the gospel goes forth throughout the world and accomplishes the purpose for which God has sent it. Isaiah 55 says that God's word accomplishes his purpose. In other words, the gift of God is still rescuing sinners today. Would you say amen to that? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross. And that inexpressible gift is still saving people today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still, still impacting the world. We see, God, we see God's inexpressible gift, namely his son Jesus Christ, in the development and the progress of the church. In his lifetime, Paul saw God's kingdom advancing from Jerusalem to Rome and parts of the Roman Empire. In our time, we witness its worldwide growth, power, and influence. Paul called attention to God's inexpressible gift of salvation and gave thanks to God for Jesus Christ. With him, we are too. We should express our gratitude to God for the coming of his son. On this earth, we live. And on this earth, our God saves us. On this earth, we will never be able to fathom the depth of God's love for us, the infinite value of our salvation, the gift of the eternal life, the gift of the eternal son. Again, God's gift indeed is what? Inexpressible. So let me close with this. This is what God has done for you. Words that I've used. If you're sitting there going, wow, this is just amazing. I did a poor job of expressing all that it means. No human words can capture the beauty of what God has done. Amen? For as good of a job, if I did any, as any that I did, I did a poor job. No, that's why he calls it what? In expressible it's just there's no human words that can capture what God has done for you you're a sinner you violated God's law over and over again you've lied you cheated you've committed adultery or fornication whether in action or you've done it in your heart as you looked and lusted after other people You've stolen, you've, you've broken every one of God's laws. Even if it's something small, you've taken ideas, you've cheated off a test, whatever it might be. We have broken God's holy law. Because we've broken God's holy law, we stand before him as what? Sinners. And what does a sinner deserve? The wrath of God. And what will the sinner get if he doesn't repent? The wrath of God. God cannot just allow you to... Go into eternity without punishing you for the things you've done to offend his holy character. It's an impossibility. We expect more from a human judge. We've got to expect the very highest standard from God in his holiness. So without Christ, you're doomed, you're dead, and you're going to die. That's the terrible, horrible news. Amen? Well, here's the good news. God loves people. And God loves his people that he has chosen and the fact that you're here today is not an accident. God has brought you here to hear this very word. And what God is saying to you is, listen, I have loved you to such an extent that I send the Son to die for your sin. If you were to repent and come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a lifetime of sin is washed away. Behold, you become something new. And you can walk with the assurance that you will be God's child forever. This is why we preach Jesus. This is why we can't shut up about Jesus. We have to talk about Jesus. 
Because it's only through Jesus. It's only through the one Savior. You cannot be good enough. I run into people all the time saying, I'm a good person. Yeah, when you compare yourself to others, you're probably a very good person. But when you compare yourself to God, you're a horrible, terrible sinner. There is no good person, the Bible says. Romans says there is none good, no, not one. God speaking. Because we all have to admit that we've sinned at least one time in our lives. That's enough for a holy God to condemn us. The standard is absolute perfection. Raise your hand if you're absolutely perfect. Never have sinned again. Yeah, you see? And if you raised your hand, everybody here would call you a liar. Amen? Because we've all sinned against God. And so we deserve, we deserve wrath, not the gift. And that is the inexpressible love of God, the gifting of God that he gives his son when we don't deserve him. So you can have all the reasons why you can't come to God. I'm, I'm just terrible. I've sinned. I've done these horrible things. Great. That's God's love. God love. He gives his son while we were what? Unworthy. If you were to bow down and surrender to Jesus Christ today, your name would be written in the Lamb's book of life and you become a child of God. Amen? Forever having your past washed away, you become a new creation. Metamorphoso. That's the word in the Greek. A new creation, metamorphosis. It's come, we have the English word, what metamorphosis, what a caterpillar does to becoming a butterfly. Amen? You can metamorphosize today, become something new. And you can start loving and learning God. You're going to love coming to church, love hearing His word. You're going to love reading. You're going to love God. You're like, where's this all coming from? The new creation. The Spirit of God. So if you want that, you need to ask God for forgiveness of your sin. Say, Jesus, look at God and say, God, I understand I've sinned against you. I need Jesus Christ. He's my only hope. If you were to do that today, God can save you. And for those of you who are saved, who have already loved God and seek God with your heart, walk out of here going, it is an expressible gift. I needed to be reminded of all that God has done and doing for me. It's an amazing thought. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word preached today. This righteous and true word which calls us to consider the inexpressible gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're completely undeserved. What we deserve is condemnation. And you, in your infinite love, have sent the Son of God to become one of us, to live the perfect life of ministry and show us the Father, to suffer on the cross for the things that we should suffer, and to die for us, your people. It is in that death that resurrection is promised, and then glorification, and then a million other blessings. We are humbled, God, by your word. We pray that we walk out of here rejoicing and in awe of the great God of heaven. We pray these things, Lord. And Father, if there's anyone here who is unsaved, who for the first time the gospel made sense, and if they're praying that you would forgive them, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would. We know they're not here by accident. The same God that speaks about Jesus coming in the past, before he even gets here, is the same God that determined them to be here. Open hearts, save your people, Lord. In Christ's name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, beloved, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you.